and welcome to The Bulletin and Beyond. I'm Kira Gillespie. I'm joined this week by our reporter Jess Greenan. We're going to walk through some of the news highlights of the week. Now Jess, it's Friday. We've woken up to brand new COVID rules. Tell me what's changed overnight? Yeah, so there are a lot of changes, um, but it's not exactly going back to normal quite yet. Um, This is the new normal. Um, And it's a lot of these changes coming into place this morning um, are actually just for fully vaccinated people. Um, So there is that caveat. But I think these changes caught a lot of people off guard. Um, They definitely came much earlier than anticipated. And this is all in the lead up. Um, to the expectation that we will actually reach 90% double dose um, either on Saturday or Sunday. Um, Basically what this means is a lot of the density caps will be removed um, across multiple venues. Um, Again with the caveat that most people are actually fully vaccinated. There are separate rules for those who Um, have only received their first dose or haven't received their dose at all. Um, For example, they won't be allowed into hospitality venues to dine in. Um, They will only be allowed uh, takeaway. But um, essential retail and things like that, you don't actually need to be double vaccinated to access those services like the post office. Um, And that's raised some questions as well about the need for QR coding, which remains um, an important feature in this uh, new normal. Um, What is the need for QR code? Um, The QR code system, that's what a lot of people are asking if the Department of Health is no longer going to actually um, contact people who are close contacts. It's going to be a lot of... uh, self-monitoring from now on. Um, People who are actually COVID positive are being asked to reach out to their social contacts themselves um, and exposure sites will no longer actually be listed for the public. So a lot of new changes. Um, It's a little bit scary for some people, uh, but uh, that's the new normal. The deadline for aged care workers to be double dose vaccinated passed this week. So on Monday, as of Monday, all people working in aged care had to have their second COVID-19 dose, um, which has seen some staff leave at a time where there's critical shortages across the region in healthcare and in aged care. So at Colex Karangamara Aged Care Centre, six workers resigned over the vaccine mandate. And there are a further five at Colac Area Health that haven't received their vaccinations yet. Their deadline is in December, so they have a little bit more time, but that's a pretty big chunk of staff at one organisation at a time that um, all levels of care are being impacted by shortages. Um, further around the region, the numbers are much better. So around 90 to 100% of aged care workers have received their two doses and any worker that hasn't had their second dose is not able to work until they get it essentially Mm. now. Um, So there are only a handful around the region that are sort of just awaiting that deadline. Um, So it's good to see that obviously compliance is quite high and it's only a handful of people. But yeah, certainly is a concern um, with we've also had some nurses stood down or leave over the mandate too. So um, we'll have to keep an eye on whether those you know, spots are filled and more staff sort of come on board for that. Mm. Um, you've been looking at shortages in another, well, lots of industries actually yeah. this week, Jess. Um, tell me a bit about that. 
Uh, well, the Southwest region is experiencing a staff shortage in multiple industries. This isn't necessarily anything that's new. Um, hospitality has been struggling for a very long time, and this is all just sort of exacerbated by the COVID uh, pandemic. But now, because we are supposedly moving into the recovery phase, um, these businesses um, are actually opening up, but they're finding they don't have enough staff to actually get things going again, um, pre-pandemic levels. Um, the vaccination mandate um, that came in place for uh, truck drivers uh, had a very significant effect on staff numbers, uh, people who didn't want to get vaccinated for a variety of different reasons, uh, chose to instead go into various other industries, particularly because they understand that everyone is hiring right now and there is a lot of um, jobs out there um, that don't have such intense COVID uh, restrictions placed upon them. So truck drivers um, have to be tested at least twice a week. Um, there have been reports of nosebleeds from the amount of testing that's been done on the drivers. And of course, uh, we've previously reported on the number of different cross-border protocols in place um, for interstate truck drivers. Now that vaccination mandate that came into place, um, it's estimated that the amount of uh, truck drivers reduced actually um, by five to seven percent. Uh, so that's a very significant amount that's probably more than a lot of different other um, industries. Um, and this truck driver shortage has been described as a sort of perfect storm. It's not necessarily the vaccinations that's driving people away from the industry. It's road conditions. We have very bad roads in the Southwest. Um, uh, there are multiple reasons and it's uh, someone's described it as the moon's aligning. Um, so again, not necessarily the um, vaccination mandate, but uh, a variety of issues and very bad timing as we approach COVID normal. Mm. Any solutions around that? Well, they're, causing, they're calling for rapid antigen testing for truck drivers, but there are They've been calling for that for a very long time. Um, and so far, not much has been done, um, despite the peak bodies actually submitting letters to Premier Daniel Andrews. But the problem is it's not necessarily a Victorian issue. Um, truck drivers, of course, go into state. Um, South Australia is notoriously um, very strict on COVID rules. Um, so. There needs to be um, a little bit more communication between the two states. I know our local MP, Roma Britnells, um, done a lot of stuff um, in Mount Gambia. Um, so certainly there are people trying, but no luck so far. Mm. Speaking of Roma Britnell, she has defended um, her talking to protesters on the steps of Parliament House this week. There's obviously been some scenes of a, a small group of protesters um, displaying quite violent imagery, uh, including gallows and nooses. And Miss Britnell was among a 
a few politicians from the opposition um, who were pictured speaking to these protesters, but she has has defended it, saying that um, you know she, her, some constituents were out there. She needed to hear what they had to say. Um, Premier Daniel Andrews obviously uh, condemned the actions of these protesters and said that anyone who standed, stands alongside those kind of actions are supporting it. Um, but it has been a really tense week, obviously, with the pandemic bill um, before Parliament. So, um, yeah, a majority of those protests have been peaceful, but there has been a handful of quite concerning scenes there. In some positive news, which is what we really need this week after a bit of that, two of our Southwest stalwarts were awarded the Victorian Senior Citizen of the Year Awards. So there was Indigenous Elder Uncle Lockie Eccles and Mr John Fox from Timboon. They were listed in the 2021 awards. Uncle Lockie is a peak Wurrung Elder and he was awarded the 2021 Healthy and Active Living Award for his work in sharing language and culture and his passion for sport. He is 69 years old and he said he feels like he's 19 and he was a little bit miffed to be in a Senior Citizen Award. <laughs> um, but yeah, he said, you know, you're only as young as you feel and he said he feels very young and um, really loves being involved in the community. And he does mm. such important work through um, kindergartens and primary schools, secondary and even, um, you know, tertiary. Uh, further afield to adult education in terms of teaching peak Wurrung language um, and it looks like that's going to be implemented right across the southwest um, beyond Warrnambool after he's been working in that space for seven years so incredible kind of uptake of the program in that time um, and Mr John Fox he has lived in Timboon his whole life he turned 70 last week and he volunteers for the Timboon and District Health Service doing things like Meals on Wheels, he'll take people into their appointments, um, you know, drive people to appointments and things if they need. And when a lot of um, volunteers aged 70 and over couldn't um, volunteer through COVID, he put his hand up for any and all things um, that mm -hmm. he could help out with. and. Speaking with him, he said he went through a little bit of a mental health battle a few years ago. A um, few things in his life were happening and he said um, volunteering was a way for him to really reconnect not only with his community but to help himself as well. And that mm. was really nice to hear that in helping others he was sort of able to pick himself back up. And yeah, um, so congratulations to those two uh, for their incredible work in the community. Uh, did you have anything else? Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, thanks so much for your time, Jess. Thank you. Now I am joined by our sports editor, Justine McCullough-Beasy. Thanks Kira. for joining us, Justine. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there's a bit on in sport now, which is must be such a relief for you guys after yep. quite a few months of um, well, creative reporting. <laughs> That's a good way of yes. saying it. Yeah, I was pretty lucky to have some holidays, so I didn't have to think too much during that uh, lull period, which was great. But um, yeah, as you said, it's all happening now, which is fantastic for, I guess, us and for the general community. Yeah, yeah. So the AFL draft is next week. Who are some of the Southwest footballers hoping to be selected? Yeah, well, we've got a few. Um, it's probably a bit different to last year where we had Jamara Yugelhagen uh, from East Fram and South Warnable, East Warnable, who was the number one pick. So we all knew, you know, we had something to celebrate on that night. Whereas this year, we've got a few guys who are probably in the hunt, but not certainty. So mm. a few nervous uh, lads around the country side. Um, 
Yeah, so we've got uh, Jamison Ballantyne, who's a, a wingman from Portland, who had a really ripping season for the Rebels, and he looks like he's impressed, um, and he, he's such a, a good speaker and, you know, comes across really well, so I'm sure when they did the interviews and that, he would have impressed a lot of clubs, so he'll be someone to watch next Thursday night. Um, then we, at the other end of the competition down in Camperdown, we have Hamish Sinnott, who's um, still only 17, um, pretty raw talent, but... Uh, was played at halfback this year and he's a chance potentially to get picked up as well so we'll see how he goes um, and then from Penshurst um, we've got Josh Wrench who's a, a big key forward slash ruckman who you know looks like he would be able to um, play at that level and he's probably a very strong chance to get picked up as well um, and then we've got a couple of other people Marcus Herbert from South Warnable who had a really good year uh, with the Rebels and also uh, Geelong's VFL team, which was great. So he, he's a bit of a roughie as well. And Jay Rantel, who we know was playing at Collingwood, unfortunately got delisted a couple mm. of months ago, um, which was pretty pretty rough. But he's also someone that could potentially get a second chance. Yeah, great to see you have a busy night on Thursday, I imagine, yes. just sort of waiting <laughs> anxiously. Yes, they're very long nights. They tend to yeah. drag out the picks, so um, might be a late one. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, and sport is getting back into full swing, yes. um, including basketball, is that right? Yeah, so basketball's been really hard hit I guess by the pandemic given it's an indoor sport and often that was one that closed up early and opened up late so Mm. um, yeah a lot of players really keen to get back on the floor and we've got the country basketball league starting up at the end of the month um, which uh, Warnable uses as its sort of summer program heading into the Big V and then you've got Portland in it and Terang from this area as well so it's really exciting to have um, that competition back up and running it's good for young players also good for people that might just want to play during summer and um, just get back on the floor. Mm, those stadiums can get very hot in summer. <laughs> yes, they can. Yeah, yep. definitely can. <laughs> um, and women's cricket as well is um, sort of on the rise in the region and it's yeah. back, is it? Yeah, so it starts this Sunday, which is great. Um, a few more teams in this year. We've got North Warnable, Alisford, Pam, Muir and Hawksdale, which was part of the uh, Grassmere competition, which is merged with the Warrnambool and District League um, now. So uh, six teams in the women's competition, including um, uh, you've got Nestles and you've got Briley and West Warrnambool. So, yeah, it seems to be getting a bit of momentum, a bit like women's footy, which is really good. Um, yeah, so we've uh, that starts on Sunday and hopefully that can... Uh, get a few more people playing throughout the, the season and there's a lot of young girls coming through the under 17 and 14 competitions as well. Yeah, great to see. Thanks so much, Justine. No worries. Thanks, Kira. Thank you for listening to The Bulletin and Beyond. We'll be back next week.